everybody. This is Issa Cosette, the producer and host of Issa's Way, your favorite podcast that uplifts amazing people around the world. And today we have a very special guest, the Peter DeGraff Johnson, aka PJ, aka the repeat beat poet, a hip hop poet and broadcaster, fusing traditional poetics and hip hop culture to capture and extend moments of time, thought and feeling. PJ has appeared across the UK and internationally while co-founding the Hip Hop Open Mic Penting, being a house MC with Hip Hop Label and Jam Night, Imaginary Millions, and hosting his Hip Hop Spoken Radio Show, the Repeat Beat Broadcast, and the multi-award nominating Lunar Poetry Broadcast, which is archived in the British Library. PJ has been nominated for Gerard Compton Poetry Fellowship, um, was a BBC One Extra Words First Poet, part of the Roundhouse Collective 2020, and the inaugural Obsidian Foundation. His debut pamphlet, A Testament to Life and Death, was recently published by Verb Poetry Press. So excited to just have you, PJ, to talk to you, to grow with you, to connect with you, to rhyme with you. Thank you so much for being in this space with me. Can you tell the people a little bit more about yourself? Thanks for the intro. It's always weird hearing your own bio back in full like that. But uh, yeah, I did that. I did all that stuff. I need to claim that and be like, bam, I am that guy. Now, more about me, I suppose. Um, I'm a Ghanaian Brit. So like I was born and I was born into a Ghanaian household. Both my parents are from Ghana. Um, and that like means a lot to me uh, to, to, to know my heritage in that like deeper sense is something that um something that a lot of not only black people in the UK but like across the world don't necessarily have is that connection to to, to lineage and heritage um so I'm very proud of that um yeah I was born and raised in a part of the UK called Essex Essex is essentially where a lot of uh people moved out of East London from um, in like, you know, the sort of 50s, 60s post-war period. Um, and my dad moved to Chelmsford in the 70s, 71. And he was kind of one of literally four or five black people um, in the entire town at the time. You know, they're all still family friends and that. Um, but that also um, massively informed kind of how I viewed my connection to uh, to the United Kingdom and then also to like the area I grew up from, um, grew up in even. Um, what other interesting bits are there about me? Um, I've always been a bit of a bit of a church boy, like both my parents. Um, my dad's a Quaker and my mum is uh, like a Methodist, but also we went to an evangelical church. And so I was playing music in church because um, that was always one of the main ways that I connected with any sort of idea of spirituality or faith or belief was always through like an embodied sense of belief, which is always music for me. So I was playing music in church for like five, six years, maybe four or five years um, as a teenager. I was also playing in indie rock bands and stuff like that. Um, but when I got to the, about the age of 18, 17, 18, I was interrogating my faith and my belief a bit and then I started to expand the religions I was learning about and having a connection with and that coincided with me wanting to have more independence in 
my kind of creative expression as well. I was playing, you know, like guitar and bass and drums and keys and backing singing in the church band and also in, in the indie band. But when I got to 18, I was kind of like, well, what do I think? What what's what's the message that I want to put out there for me? Um, and that led to me playing around with with lyrics um, and playing around with with my first like, you know, dipping my dipping my toe in poetry for the first time. And since then, I've not really looked back, you know, I've just continued to interrogate and investigate my own beliefs through poetry. Like, I think that poetry has always been this energy, this, this mode of expression that has allowed me to convene with not only myself and what I'm thinking about myself and to myself, but also what I'm thinking about the world, whether I understand it, whether I don't, whether I'm in awe or whether I'm you know confused or whatever I always return to poetry and lyrics as a way to understand the world um I think that's great let's think about the evolution and the way that we're able to find ourselves in the way that we're trying to express ourselves and like you using music you know so your beliefs right being finding different creative ways to express yourselves which allows these messages which allows you to have a testament right to be able to share your story so you know can you talk about the inspiration behind your new pamphlet and how was it coming and you know writing this work um and thinking about the experiences that shaped it through the once again your music your heritage your background how was that process as you wrote that pamphlet so the pamphlet is titled A Testament to Life and Death. And the story behind the title comes from literally an evening of testimony that happened in my church. People, they used to do testimony evenings like every what season, every three months or whatever. And one time my mum quite literally told the testimony of her life. Um, and a big part of that was uh, her pregnancy with me. And it was the sort of, um, there are a few complications and it meant that the church was invested and praying and 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 were were so important in my mum being able to to have me um and i'm there sitting listening to all this testimony in the back with my friend being like this is mental this is incredible like you know this is like what uh, and obviously this is the first time about me hearing about any of this as well um and so ever since then the word testimony and to to, to literally testify was always a really important theme. When I was collating the poems that would become a testament to life and death, I didn't know how to group them. I didn't know what was the through line between them. Um, and then quite late on in the process, I actually realized the easiest way I could bring these poems together was through um, using each of the poems and in the book as a whole as a testament, one body of work, a testament to lives and deaths that I've seen. Um, I'm also very interested in like the ideas of like necropolitics and biopolitics. So essentially how under a political system, people can be positioned either closer to death or closer to, you know, life. Because I'm really interested in um, like imperialism, specifically British imperialism, specifically British imperialism, after the 2016 uh, leaving the EU vote, it meant that there was a lot of rage and death that I was writing about. And I didn't know how to group that with the kind of, you know, the, the, the poems that were dedications to people or dedications to life. Um, and I thought, 
there's no need for me to try and keep these things separate. I can actually dovetail them because the thing that is bringing them all together is that they are testaments to life. They are testaments to death. They are testaments to what my experience has been living life as a, you know, a Ghanaian Brit in, you know, a Western metropole. And there's no easy way to kind of link all these things because we are not just one thing. You know, we are also multifaceted. We all have experiences which are complex and can't be reduced to one simple viewpoint. And so I thought, don't try and reduce yourself let it all be in the book um, and so yeah the book contains poems from the past five and a half years of me writing um, almost all the poems here were honed at open mic performances they were not only edited on the page they were edited in the room on the stage with people which is a massive part of how I um, how I write is I have to verbalize something, I have to hear it, I have to see it land, almost like a comedian, you have to trial and error this stuff to really see what works. Sometimes I won't realize that I've added an extra syllable there or what I'm really trying to say is this. Um, and so that that's also a really important thing about um, how the poems come together. Um, the actual process of like getting the poems together and then editing them into a book, that actually happened really fast, like super fast. Um, because I sort of took it for granted that that I would be able to release a book. Um, not everybody uh, just assumes that, that that they're entitled to have a book. But I had that kind of weird arrogance where no one's told me that I can't do it. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to do it. So, you know, from sort of 2016, 2017, as I was doing all these gigs, you know, 2018, 2019, I think I did like 120, 130 gigs in each of those years every time honing my set honing the poems um and so once the uh once once the global coronavirus pandemic kind of hit early 2020 um i think it was in mid 2020 that i actually got the email through from uh, my publisher um who had worked with the lunar poetry podcast previously um and so it was a very easy uh email to receive been like well we've published something you're connected with before have you got anything ready and i was finally ready in early 2020 to really commit to publishing a book but yeah, so like across 2020, I was thinking about it. 2021, I was really putting it together. And uh, yeah, come 2022, it exists. It, it it really lives in the world now. And I think now it's almost like now, now the book is having its life and I'm no longer like, you know, umbilically connected to it. People talk about it, like you have a book birthday, you have a publishing day. Um, and I'm still so happy to see, to see my face on this book, living its life out there in the world, you know. I'm so excited for you. And I'm so like excited to hear about the journey, the process, the conversations, the testimonies, right? Because like once, sometimes when you're living it and then like you were, when you mentioned earlier, it's like, it's so weird to hear your bio just kind of read out to you. Like it's so different to be able to see your work, right? To be out and so, but it's a blessing, right? Because you're leaving these legacies, you're leaving these reminders, you're sharing these testimonies that will be able to move and be able to shape the migration and the people and the ways that we see the world. And this is like, we need your view. We need your voice. We need to be able to read your verses. And so I'm thinking about maybe what has been the most radical change or confirmation that you've gotten since this debut 
And how is it changing the way you're going to maybe kind of start writing in the future? Or what are you writing now? Because now that that book is out, of course, there's more to come. I think it's given me a respect for the process. Like, I feel I went into the book and the process of writing a book quite, you know, like, no one's ever told me what the rules were. So I kind of just went and did my own thing. Um, and that's great because, you know, it means you don't have to be worried about, you know, quote unquote, the way things are done. You do things in your own way. Um, but it did also really emphasize to me the importance of process. Like how much of a book literally comes from the editing process and the, um, you know, like small things like um, like research and inspiration and almost th that that generative process of 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 that like almost the very first seeds of a book are in the process of writing that book and that process could be decades long could be years long could be involving so many different types of um art or or inspiration i write a lot in response to um to to like people or in response to people's stories and so I think the way that this book has changed me is that I now look for inspiration and stories differently. I look at the world around me with the eye of almost like a photographer, almost looking for scenes that can be something I can latch onto, something I can like pour myself into, something that's going to really compel me to write. Um, you know, it's weird to realize that when writing becomes your job, sometimes that means you don't want to write. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and that's, it's, it, it's this baffling contradiction. Um, I, you know, when I started performing, it was all fun. I would bust out, you know, new pieces every week to, to read at an open mic. But as I was putting this book together, I very quickly realized that what my next book will be will be more refined it will be a clearer um and maybe more maybe more like uh i want to say like essentialized it'll be like an essentialized treatise of what i think it will be me putting forward ideas and maybe a bit more of a not like necessarily a polemic way but in a very clear and concise way. What I love about this book is it's a grouping of many different aspects of the type of poetry I write. Um, and I love that, but I feel that now having a bit of a, um, having a bit clearer understanding of the importance of process and editing means that the work that will follow this will be uh, maybe more directed, maybe more pointed, it will be a development on the themes that are already seeded in this book because this book is so much of me in all my varieties. Um, and so, yeah, but I, you know, like <laughs> this book will continue to change me. And it's, and it's weird because this book will, will, will exist now in perpetuity, you know, like, and, and, and I really hope it does. I hope that people interact with the book independently of me they don't need to know me they don't need to know anything about me or my background everything they need to know is in the book because it's not just me creating the meaning now it is a conversation it takes a reader for this book to like to do what it needs to do it's not just it's not just my story the book's meaning will be made by people interacting with it 
Um, and so that's another way in which whatever happens with the book, it will impact me and it will and it will feed back into how I write because I'm very interested to see what people take from the book and the meaning and the conversations that are generated. So, yeah. The way that this book is able to show the different versions of you, the way that you can expand on that, the way that you can think about, um, you know, not only how you are changed by the book, but the conversations that are happening and then the ways that you see the world. I'm also just interested in how you have used like the fusions of your experiences, your sounds, the conversations, your poetics, and how that has evolved, right? So thinking about um, how you wanted to refine your editing skills, right? Or your poems and refine things in the future. Um, what do you think, or what have you noticed from your time of writing and how has that evolved? It's really weird to, to imagine that I have a poetics in and of myself. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes you, you hear these terms and and you think that they only apply to, you know, the great writers of yore, or, you know, like you, you think that this stuff is only for, you know, like quote unquote real writers and all of these like illusions where we don't give ourselves the credit, but across the editing process, <laughs> specifically across like the fourth and fifth and sixth draft of this book, um, that was the time where I realized like the passion and the interest I have in musicality in the sheer sonority of words is something that always, always, always uh, connects me back to like, like immediate heartfelt feeling. Like the poetry that really hits me is often hits me on a sound level, something I don't even understand, just like just the way in which a rhythm of words will hit me or like the melody of words will 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 catch me. Um, and so I definitely edited this book to emphasize the sheer and like even without necessarily the meaning, just how the words sound in the ear, how they fit around the tongue, because like this is something which is deep in uh, like West African cultures is it, is it their tonal languages, like their rhythmic and tonal languages. And obviously that's not only true of West African cultures, that's th true of some might say all cultures. We don't speak in a monotonous way, or if we do speak in a, in, in a monotonous way, that's like, you know, you, you can hear that and it's not always the most like pleasurable thing for me. And, and because I was always from an incredibly young age, I was just like, marinating in different types of like speech and language and, and 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 musical culture so it doesn't matter if it was a preacher speaking for an hour or if it was a sports commentator or if it was conversations around the dinner table or it was a teacher giving an assembly or it was uh, you know like obviously rappers uh, spitting across all different types of beats. Doesn't matter if it was English language or a language that I didn't understand. And um, it didn't matter if it was like Fanti or Twi or a language in Ghana that I have like some knowledge of, but maybe I'm not fluent in. If it was a spoken cult culture, if it was a culture that involved language or words, it would interest me. And, and I never lost that, but I didn't realize just how deep set that was in me until I started to really, really edit this book. Um, but the seeds were already there. Like in my work as a broadcaster, if I'm doing radio, if I'm doing podcast work, um, something that really interests me about that area of work is the human voice. The human voice as instrument, 
the human voice as a conveyor of knowledge um, and the joy of being able to just, the joy of being able to celebrate different voices, not only in the concept of, you know, um, of, of marginalized voices and oppressed voices, but in the literal sense of like, I, lo I love different people's voices, you know what I mean? Different tones, like, doesn't matter if you're like, you know, nasal or speaking really fast or whatever. When it comes to my poetics or a poetics that I would use to analyze or understand my work, it would have to be viewed through a prism of spoken culture. There's a fantastic book called Stage Invasion, Poetry and the Spoken Word Renaissance by Peter Bearder. And, and in that book, like he, he traces the history of spoken word cultures in the UK all the way back to like, you know, uh, like, like mass political movements, like the Chartists who were fighting for voting rights back in like the 1600s, all the way through to, you know, like the modern rappers of today. And all of that, all of that is, I consider that to be like my literary and poetic heritage. It's the type of background that I come from. Um, yeah, like sometimes I'll just listen to like football commentary and think, this is fantastic. Their rhythms, their, their, their improvised, sorry, they're, they're responding in the moment and creating a poetics in response to sport. And I love that. And I wanted to have some of that immediacy to some of these poems. Uh, similarly, you know, like I write about faith and belief all the time and you've not seen a, like, you know, some of the best performances in the, it, some of the best performances I've ever seen to a microphone have been preachers who have just been going and going and going and going and going and going and going. And you like, you can feel every word they're saying. And if you don't feel every word they're saying, then people will call it out. Because like, you know, a preacher is there to serve a purpose. It's about connecting you with someone greater. And so I really empathized with that as well. Um, and so, yeah, in between these different types of, I mean, like, I never know what the right term is to use, but the catch-all term is like spoken word cultures. I don't know, like vocal cultures. Um, all of that is inspiration to me. Um, obviously like, you know, uh, reggae, dance hall, um, the, the, the culture of toasting as well. That's a massive inspiration too. But then hip hop, I mean, I could talk about the influence of hip hop on my work for, for years, but um, just in one sentence, like when my name comes from, which is probably, you know, the, the best way to summarize my poetics, uh, repeat beat poet. I was super into the beat poets when I was starting writing. So like specifically uh, Deanne de Prima, um, obviously Kerouac, Ginsburg, um, and, and and many of the smaller writers. What I loved about them was their was their stream of thought. Their like their like consciousness writing, um, and that really inspired me. And then I thought about how a DJ in hip hop culture will cut up a beat. Quite literally, they will take a small segment and they will repeat it. They will move it out and they'll just, you know, you take four bars and bam, that can be the basis for your song. Um, and I love the idea of focusing in and then expanding back out. And so I thought, how can I combine these two things? How can I combine the hip hop influence of, 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 of beat making and sampling and those sorts of ideas alongside the stream of consciousness ideas of the beat poets? And so I thought, repeat, beat, poet. I had that name and I had the concept of that poetics before I had any of the poetry, you know? Like I've, I've reverse engineered 
what my poetics is in the knowledge that it would be authentic to me because I trust my intuition. Um, and like, that's kind of where my name comes from. That's kind of where my poetics comes from. And now I'm just trying to like refine that. I'm trying to cut out all the extraneous stuff. I'm trying to hone in on the stuff that really gets me going, like obviously vocal cultures and, you know, uh, music and things like that. Um, and obviously faith, belief, all of that is tied into those ideas. Oh man, you just gave me so much like life and just inspiration to keep listening, to keep paying attention, to find these connections because just like, it's all there. And the fact that also like things that we want to do, like you've shaped this life, you've been able to create the space for you and your practice. So I can't wait to be able to just be moved by it to hear and connect more with your work and also just hear what you got to share with us today. You ready? Mm, I am ready. I'm a read. So importantly, I'm actually going to read the dedication at the start of the book, and then I'm going to read um, a poem, uh, a short poem from the start of the book. Um, but I think that it's a poem that's like summarizes some of the topics I was mentioning in the previous couple of answers as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is just the dedication from the start of the book. Uh, Peter de Graft Johnson is the repeat beat poet. And this is a testament to life and death. Uh, this book is in dedication to and in jubilant memory of the ones who raised the ones that raised me. So that's Sarah Amois, Francis Ignatius Human Bafour, Josephine Maria de Graft Johnson, AKA Mother, George Kuntu Blankson, AKA GKB Par George, uh, Reverend Joseph William de Graft Johnson, Alice DeGraft Johnson and Eva Coleman Daniels. That's all my family. And this is also for Dean McKee, who was a, a close poet, sorry, a close friend of mine and poet. My first two performances, feature performances were with Dean in a collective and then solo. He sadly passed away um, in 2020. And so I had to put him in this book. Uh, and the poem that I'd like to read is called Aretha and Grace. Um, it's it, it, it's kind of a duplex, which is a form um, created by Jericho Brown. Um, but uh, yeah, it's called Aretha and Grace. It was sound that saved a man like me. Words whispered before new beginnings are wayfaring songs between the felt and unseen, implanted and sinewed and ever green. So certain silences unsettle me, like when an empty theater's curtain swings, while serene and still the dusty stalls appear surreal to those enthralled by the spirits starved of revelry. Yes, it was sound that saved a man like me. Thank you. You can get a testament to life and death via Verve Poetry Press. The power in activating and changing and being able to tap into the spirit through our words to be moved, to use poetry, to use music, to be able to just embody this gift that we have, you know, and share the messages that need to be, you know, sent through us, right? Through this life and death, through these experiences. So thank you so, so, so much for sharing just a little bit of story, for teaching us um, the importance of sound and poetics and conversations and sharing our testimony. So I look forward to your growth 
and reading your work. Thank you so much, Issa. Like it's 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 really wonderful to talk in depth and with passion and with people who understand about the book. So I'm 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 really glad. Um, there's actually an audio book version that will be uh, released coming very very soon as well. And Look so. At that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had to. I had to do an audiobook of version. Of course. Right. People, <laughs> gotta, people gotta interact in different ways. Some people listen to poetry more. So yeah, uh, I, I can't say when that will be out, but that will be out in this year, 2022. I'm looking forward to it. So PJ, how are you on your way? Uh, how am I on my way? Um, with the grace of God, with the love of my friends and family, with self-belief um no i think um with that as like the preface was with 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 that as the overarching thing how am i on my way i think i'm on my way um like anybody else's day by day and with no clear overarching grand plan (laughs) do you know what i mean like i'm very honored and privileged to be able to do what I do for a living like you know I'm, I'm currently I'm full-time freelance as a as a writer um, and I don't take any of it lightly or for granted um, but it also means that when when you ask me how am I on my way I'm like that seems like a whole life question that seems like an entire uh, you know uh, what is the rest of my professional career my personal life what is all of that going to be And all of that I trust will come if I stay true to who I am, to the love that is shown to me. And if I can stay like, if I can stay, if I can keep it simple, do you know what I mean? If I can keep it day by day, if I can stay in close proximity to love and happiness and to the things that, you know, bring me joy, then that's how I want to be on my way. That's what I want my way to be, the way of joy, the way of happiness, the way of love in personal life and in my life in the world. You know, I listen to a lot of Cornell West and read a lot of Cornell West and the way that he talks about, you know, how justice is what love looks like in public. Like, I, 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 I want to live a life of love. That's what I want. That's Amen. how I want to be on my way. Look, and you are, and you are embracing it, speaking it, receiving it every day, and you're on your way and you're doing it. So I'm just so happy to be crossing paths with you. I look forward to the more connections, the support, and listening and just growing with you. Tell the people where can they buy your book, where where can they support your stuff, where can they connect with you? Um, So you can find me online, all online, at repeatbeat.com poet so that's r-e-p-e-a-t-b-e-a-t-p-o-e-t um i am mostly active on like twitter and insta but um if you want to email me my email is is connected to all of those links as well um i host a uh, long form poetry interview podcast called the lunar poetry podcast um it's infrequent but trust me, more episodes are planned for 2022. So you can find that on any podcast platform. That's the Lunar Poetry Podcast. Um, and if you're in London or the UK, 
you can come to a show. I list all my shows online um, and I host a Penting Poetry, which is based at the Bush Theatre in Shepherd's Bush, West London, which is a fantastic hub of black theatre um, and, and, and poetry in, in history and today. Um, and so, yeah, we do Penting every month, uh, normally on a normally on the third Thursday, but our dates are a bit different this month, sorry, this year, but follow at Penting Poetry on Twitter and Insta for more details there. You can get the book, A Testament to Life and Death via Verve Poetry Press. Shouts out Spike Zephyr Nye Stevenson on the cover. The cover is beautiful. If I do say so myself, it incorporates um, many things that mean a lot to me and are referenced in the book, including the Ghanaian flag. There's an Afro comb in there. Uh, there's uh, there's there's a coffin. There's a there's a there's a lotus flower. There's a pen. There's a microphone, and all of these things are little reflections of me. So shouts out Spike Zephani Stevenson on that. That's everything, I suppose. That's all the plugs. Bam. Yeah, I love. It. I'm so hype. Um, make sure to cop that. Make sure to show up and pull up. Um, to all of our wonderful listeners, wherever you are in your way, make sure to listen to sound, to spirit, to the conversations and realize that your life is a testimony too. Until next time, this is Issa Cosette. Y'all be blessed. Mm-hmm.